citizen. The Arrival, Chapter 44. By the afternoon of July 5, 2007, Bob and Tracy were headed across the Chesapeake Bay Bridge from Annapolis. Tracy was instructed to go to the other side, but he wasn't more specific than that, and the Delmarva Peninsula was more than 100 miles long in Maryland alone. Tracy's plan was to go to a state park near Crisfield. He had researched it the night before, and the park honored their pass. However, Tracy still hadn't told Bob anything about his relationship with the tall, shiny silver figure, which made things vague as far as Bob was concerned. So, Bob asked, where are we going? I told you, Tracy said. We're going to celebrate your birthday. Okay, Bob said. In the past, Bob was the one who did such things for others. Now that the shoe was on the other foot, he realized how it might be more fun for the person orchestrating the surprise. I've been to Rehoboth Beach, Bob said, and that's a nice place. But Tracy drove through the intersection that turned east to the ocean and kept heading south. You'll see, Tracy said, but he was flying as blind as Bob. Eventually, the pair made their way to Jane's Island State Park, and it was close to four o'clock. They found where the campsites were and pulled the Subaru into a sandy space under 40-foot loblolly pines. Tracy pulled out the abused box of tent parts Ray and Kate gave them, none of which made any sense. Their lesbian cohorts actually gave them two tents, which could be constructed with a living room, sleeping quarters, and possibly a gallery. But the two gay boys couldn't make heads or tails of it, and there were no instructions. Do you think they have cabins? Bob asked. It was now late afternoon, the sun was headed toward the horizon, and mosquitoes were gathering. Let's check, Tracy said immediately. The couple headed to the ranger's office, and Bob noticed that the map on the wall of the building was actually a chart. Then he noticed the racks of canoes and kayaks stacked by the launch area, and the small inlet that separated them from a pristine island of pines. Hey, Tracy, Bob said. Look at this. Tracy came over. These aren't bike trails, Bob explained. They're kayak trails through the marsh. What? Tracy asked, and was annoyed. See, Bob said, the trails are only one or two miles long, and they're blue. I like canoeing, but I haven't spent much time in a kayak. Oh, hell no, Tracy said, who instantly heard the theme music from Jaws mixed with the banjos in Deliverance, and was losing his patience. Let's just see if we can get a place to stay. Bob and Tracy headed to the door of the ranger's office, but it was locked. When they looked through the window, the ranger was at her register counting the drawer. They knocked, but when the ranger saw them, she motioned that the office was closed. We were just wondering if you had any cabins available for tonight, Bob said through the glass. Then, when the ranger came over to the door, 
a remarkable thing happened. She didn't say anything. Instead, she pulled the shade down over the window, so the ranger literally kept the door shut and fully closed the window in front of Bob and Tracy's face. Uh, let's get something to eat, Tracy said testily. The couple repacked the mangled tent parts into the Subaru and headed back to civilization. By this time, Bob knew Tracy loved soft-shelled crabs. Chrisfield, Maryland, was famous for the delicacy, and they headed to a restaurant that was supposed to be the oldest and best. What they got from the huge steamer on the slow night were tiny purplish-red rocks. They resembled crabs only by the fact they had two melted claw appendages jutting from them, and they were inedible. Come on, Tracy said. Let's go. And he was more than miffed. They hopped back in the car to steam back home. Bob knew not to say anything, and had no idea what was going on. Tracy didn't either. What's going on, Lord? Tracy fumed. You're the one who told me to go to the other side. Here we are, and nothing is working. There was no answer, and Tracy thought he missed God. There was something he wasn't getting, and nothing made any sense. After they had been on the road for an hour and a half, it was close to eleven o'clock. Bob wasn't having much fun on his birthday trip, and he saw a sign for St. Michael's. My parents used to talk about St. Michael's, Bob said. What? Tracy asked absent-mindedly. After my parents married, they came to St. Michael's a few times. This was long before they had us, and we moved to Maine. My mom used to tell stories of the town that fooled the British and the Cannonball House, and they passed a highway sign informing them St. Michael's was ten miles away. Do you want to go there? Tracy asked. It's pretty late, Bob said, and you've been driving all day. Well, Tracy said, that sounds like a good idea. Because he was tired and at the end of his rope. So they went to St. Michael's, pulled into the motel, and Tracy collapsed. Before Bob went to sleep, he went back to the lobby for information about the area. There, a skipjack brochure caught his eye. Bob grew up in a boatyard, and his family moved to Maine because of his sister, a friendship sloop built in 1902. The Rebecca T. Rourke was a local skipjack built in 1886, and was similar to the wooden sailboat of Bob's childhood. He thought it might be fun to sail on it with Tracy. Then Bob went back to their room, climbed in bed, and went to sleep. The next morning... Tracy woke up and asked the same thing he did every morning. What are we going to do today, Lord? Why not wait for Bob to wake up and ask him? He said. Why do we have to wait for Bob to wake up? Tracy asked indignantly. You didn't even tell him I don't have a job. There was no answer, so when Bob woke up, Tracy asked him. Do you know there's an island farther down the road? Bob asked and Tracy waited to see what Bob would say. Well, I saw a brochure for an old sailboat that does tours, and since today is my birthday... What? Today is your birthday? Tracy interrupted. 
Yeah, so I thought it might be fun to go on a boat ride. Wait, Tracy interjected. Today is your birthday, not yesterday. And Bob nodded yes. Oh, wow, so I didn't miss God. And Tracy was ecstatic. So Bob made the call, and they found out the skipjack was booked for the afternoon. But they could go on the sunset sail at 6.30, although it was a long time to wait. Are you sure you don't want to go back home? Bob asked. Because I know you're tired. No, 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 Tracy insisted, and his mood had changed significantly. Today is your birthday. Okay, Bob said, but it always has been, because Bob had no idea why this was so important. Why don't we go down to the island and look around? That sounds like an idea, Tracy said, who was now letting Bob lead. Hello everyone, Tracy here. I hope you're enjoying my story. We'll let you know how to support this podcast later. But for now, the best thing you can do is follow us and share it with your friends and family. So if you like what you're hearing, please help us out by telling people about it. And thanks again. Then they headed to Tillman Island, where the skipjack was docked, and ate at a restaurant on the Narrows by the drawbridge. After lunch, Bob and Tracy hopped back in the Subaru to explore the island. This didn't take long, because the island was basically a single road that dead-ended into a huge parking lot. They parked and got out to look at the Chesapeake Bay, but they still had another three hours until the sailboat cruise. So... And Bob looked around. Do you want to get the bikes down and ride around? Sure, Tracy said, who didn't think much of it. He was too distracted by the large fenced-in area with a three-story tower, which somehow looked connected to Area 51. There was a radar station at the end of the huge parking lot, and there were no cars or other signs of life. After he read the sign... Bob found out it was the first erected at the end of World War II to test radar equipment. The Naval Radar Lab was across the bay. The station communicated with the lab for radar testing, as well as monitored boat traffic going in and out of Baltimore. However, all Tracy saw was a military installation. He was concerned about his security clearance, and Tracy's resume was already circulating for his next contract. He didn't want to have to explain anything to his new employer, so he was wary. Do you have the keys? Bob asked, and Tracy handed him his keychain to unlock the bike rack. Then, Tracy stalled getting his bike off the car as he considered the radar station. Bob had his bike together and was soon riding around the parking lot. Bob looked farther down the road and saw a sign for a bed and breakfast, and rode back to report his findings. Hey, Tracy, Bob said, there's an inn past the radar station. Do you want to check it out? That looks private, Tracy decided. 
So we probably shouldn't go down there. How can an inn be private if there's a sign advertising it's down the road? Tracy didn't answer. Bob was weary of how arduous his birthday surprise had been to this point. So Bob went down to the gate this time and read the sign about the bird sanctuary and the inn. Beyond the gate, the road turned to gravel. There was a sharp turn to the left, which revealed a grand expanse of water. In the distance was a tilted lighthouse in the middle of the bay, which the land had abandoned decades ago. Bob became intrigued, and he rode back again to tell Tracy. This inn seems like it's beautiful, and the view is fascinating. I really don't think we should go down there, Tracy said, who had suddenly returned to the mood of the previous day, and Bob decided he had had enough. Well, it's my birthday, Bob stated, so I am going to see what I can see. And he took off on his bike past the radar station, rode through the gate, and went down the gravel road until he rounded the corner out of sight. Lord, Tracy said, and he was furious. Bob just took off through that gate, and he has my car keys. His answer was immediate. What did I tell you to do? He asked. At first, Tracy was perplexed. Then Tracy remembered his instructions. You told me to take Bob out for a bike ride for his birthday. Tracy recited. Well, he said, this is Bob's birthday, and this is Bob's bike ride. And Tracy felt a smile from him that was unusual. I suggest you follow him. Tracy grudgingly mounted his bike and rode through the parking lot, but he stopped at the corner of the radar station. He dismounted in front of the government-issued barbed wire fence, took his wallet out, and held it against the crystalline blue sky reflecting off the Chesapeake Bay. Lord, Tracy declared, if I lose my security clearance because of this stupid bike ride, you, me, and Moses are going to sit down and have a conversation. Then, Tracy pushed his wallet back into his pocket and aggressively rode down the gravel driveway to get his keys. But the driveway was half-mile long. It meandered along the marsh to Tracy's left, and there were open miles of water to his right. Along the length of the shore was a carefully angled bank of ton-sized granite boulders known as riprap. To Bob, who grew up on an island that had been a granite quarry, he felt at home in a way he never had in Maryland. Because it was the end of the peninsula, the vista also looked like where Bob grew up in Penobscot Bay. The view fascinated him to the point he had to dismount his bike at the top of the lawn in front of the inn. Bob stood there, entranced by the fact someone had put Maine smack dab in the middle of the Chesapeake. Tracy caught up to him, but before Tracy could demand his keys back, an older man came from what looked to be the service entrance past the front door of the old house. "'What are you two guys doing here?' he asked, and it was hard to decipher whether his manner was just gruff or sardonic. "'Do you have a reservation?' When the man came for them, he walked with a swagger that meant he owned the place. 
He had carefully combed black hair, which obviously lost the battle with the wind constantly. He had a barrel chest, was energetic, and there might have been a twinkle in his eye that suggested good humor. However, at the moment, the man was Tracy's worst nightmare. He was sure all the man saw was the interracial gay boys that had invaded his private sanctuary, and Tracy was sure naval officials had already been notified to take them away to the brig. "'I'm sorry, sir,' Tracy said. "'If we were trespassing, we do apologize. We were just out on a bike ride, and we stumbled upon this place.' "'Are you two looking for a room?' the innkeeper asked. "'Well—' And Tracy finally looked around. "'What is this place?' "'We're a bed and breakfast,' the innkeeper said. Bob looked at Tracy, because he didn't understand his nervousness. "'Well,' Tracy said, "'we have plans to go on a sunset sail this evening.' "'On the skipjack?' the innkeeper asked. "'You'll have a good time with the captain. He's a trip.' "'Yes.' And Tracy relaxed and looked at Bob. "'And I'm sure we don't want to drive all the way back home afterwards.' Bob nodded in the affirmative. "'So sure. Why not?' Tracy decided. Then, Tracy silently unpacked a litany of how he could keep a security clearance, even though the room probably cost more than he wanted to spend. It was paramount for Tracy to keep what God had given him since his mom died, and staying here meant he could protect his work experience, from nuclear inspection to requesting his own teams as an independent consultant for Oracle contracts. I tell you what, the innkeeper said, "'What?' Tracy asked, because his entire work life and what God had brought him through to this point had just passed from beginning to end in front of his mind. "'Lean your bikes up against that big holly tree over there,' and the innkeeper pointed. "'Then take a walk down to the dock. By the time you get back, I'll be finished cleaning up breakfast.' "'Okay,' Tracy said. Bob was delighted but stayed clear because his birthday surprise was finally getting somewhere. Then you can meet me in the office, the innkeeper said. I'll have the paperwork ready, and you can rent that last cabin for the weekend. For the weekend? Tracy asked. Well, it's Friday, the innkeeper said, who was a consummate salesman. By the way, my name is Tom. They shook hands, and Tom went back into the house. Bob and Tracy leaned their bikes against the trunk of the immense holly tree by the office, and they headed for the dock. This is where you're supposed to live, he said, and he was beaming. But as the couple continued down the rounded driveway to the back cove, Tracy began to wrestle with God. News flash, Lord, Tracy thought. I don't have a job to afford all this. And then Tracy thought that was a little harsh. But if this is you, Lord, confirm it. Although Tracy still couldn't believe it. But if this is you, Satan, I bind you according to Matthew 18, 18, and I loose you from your assignment against me this day. And Tracy bowed his head and said aloud, In Jesus' name. What? Bob asked, but Tracy didn't reply. As they reached the dock, both were affected as the events of two lifetimes unfolded. 
In a one-dimensional way, Bob was like a fish to water. As he walked down the dock, Bob heard the waves washing up into the crevices of granite boulders, a sound he hadn't heard since he was a boy on the island. For Tracy, reaching the dock was the culmination of two worlds, and, unbeknownst to Tracy, a bridge was about to be crossed at the all-important page of his picture book, and Bob would confirm this. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you would like to purchase the book, Dual Citizen, it is available on Amazon. Be sure to search for Dual Citizen, The Connection. All three books, The Connection, The Training, and The Arrival, are available in print as well as on Kindle. Dual Citizen, The Connection, is also available on Audible. So, if you would like to skip ahead and see how everything turns out, feel free. But don't tell your friends the ending. Thanks again, and we hope everyone will find their place at the table. <laughs>